welcome to the Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. This is the show where I do improvised horror stories. What I do is I pull out uh, random titles from a jar, and then I just make up the stories from there. Not too much to say at the top of this episode. Uh, I'm just basically ready to get into it. So let's begin. Alright. This story is called Check into a Hotel in Snoozeville. The sun woke Brian up. His blinds were only half open. And his window was pointing east. But the sunlight woke him up at about 6 a.m. And he reached over to check his watch. All the time, he was just like, uh, not ready for this day yet. And then he went back to sleep. He wakes up again at 10:45, more of an appropriate hour uh, when he likes to wake up. He got changed and walked out of the hotel. He got breakfast at a diner in walking distance. platter. He liked them over easy and that's how he ordered them. Got some rye toast with butter, some bacon, and some some, uh, hotcakes as well. And in the diner he saw some teenagers on a road trip. They had a little camcorder with them. And they were all filming each other, taking turns holding it. Filming the restaurant as well filming the cars out drive outside the window Brian looked at him and had the dual feelings of feeling like oh it must be nice to see the world with fresh eyes but also felt his inner hardness and resented their joy 
started to flip through the newspaper he was reading. His eyes perked up at the TV nearby. And it showed uh, the news and President Ronald Reagan discussing some economic policies that he, or at least his team, cleverly coined as Reaganomics. Brian just shook his head and went back to the paper. He was looking for any reports that would stand out, anything strange, but nothing came about. He thought to himself, surely I'm not staying at this hotel for no reason. He was on a lookout. He was so determined that it caused him to be estranged from his wife. His obsession was too much for her. Which hurt him personally, because he thought surely we could survive through anything. But she flat out told him, if you want to do this, you're going to have to do it yourself. And that was three weeks ago. Brian thought to himself, well, she probably got remarried by now sleeping with someone else. He called the house once a week to talk to the kids. But overall, he's been distant. Staying on this long stretch of highway. It was near his hometown. Not too far, maybe two towns over. But he had a distinct memory. Um, he even remembered the calendar calendar day. It was October 16th, 1967. He was just a kid, and him and his parents uh, were getting some gas at a gas station nearby. This was long before any kind of development happened along this long stretch of highway. But he had the bright idea of wandering off. He wanted to explore the field. He felt the field was calling to him. Just a vast open space and vast darkness. So he wandered over. He remembered all the tall grass and how it felt against his knees. How it felt like it was itchy, but also felt like it was being scratched at the same time. And then he saw the lights. He didn't quite remember anything else from that night. flashing of lights and they woke up in his own bed at the house his parents were freaking out they didn't know what happened all the details from that day and that night even before the abduction uh, stood out to him and burned into his memory 
was 2.13 in the morning when he woke up to his parents freaking out. And as a child, he looked at the clock and remembered, why would it be 2.13 and still be dark out? sister and as they were growing up you know at first it was very traumatic on the family that he disappeared for one evening and they found him in the field and they tried to recover him uh, they thought about taking him to taking him to a hospital uh, Brian wasn't too delirious or anything but anyway at the time it was a very dramatic occurrence that Brian disappeared for as long as he did all over his body. But like those bird marks, uh, the trauma faded with time. And his brother and sister were able to joke about it more with him. And as they got older, they would eventually quiz him on uh, what happened that day. Not with what has to do with the flashing lights or anything like that. just ask him about facts from that day because he always claimed he had a photographic memory of everything that happened dad asked oh yeah well what was on TV what was the weather like how many raindrops happened that day he'd be like it didn't rain that day it was well the news said that it was uh, partially cloudy um, but you know that day it was bright and sunny maybe like one or two small clouds that I saw that day. And as they, even as they got older, they'd quiz them more and more about what that day was like, uh, conversations that they had and all that. But eventually his brother and sister were forgetting about that day specifically. Again, it was a traumatic day for all of them, and trauma always finds a way to linger. It was really Brian, the only one, uh, who held those memories in place. And he had dreams about that night, about the lights, at least, uh, all throughout his life. It would usually just be him at the gas station as a kid, and him wandering through the field, and then him seeing the lights once again. Then certain things would happen after the dream. Uh, he could never remember when he woke, when he woke up, uh, but he always kept a notebook at the side of his bed. So when he did wake up and have the memory fresh, he'd jot it down. Uh, but the memory only lasted long enough uh, just to jot down a few key, key words. None of that really amounted to anything that he could discern. And the dreams would happen sporadically. It wasn't every night of his life or anything. You know, just every few years, if he was going through a rough time, something stressful, you know, they would surface up again. He'd have a cluster of them. And of course, as he was growing up, especially when he was a teenager, he believed in UFOs. He bought all the books, all the magazines on them. met other people who were like UFO watchers, 
people who had diehard believed in aliens and Roswell and all that. And he'd always hear people out. But he didn't, he didn't quite feel like one of them. Uh, the only thing that he was... He, did, he didn't think, necessarily, that it could have been aliens that where the lights came from. But the one thing he was absolutely certain of is that the lights were not from this world. one thing he was certain of. The lights were not from this world. So as his life went on, he got married, had some kids. Then eventually he has uh, another cluster of dreams. And again, he doesn't think too much of it. The dreams start to progress. Uh, start to progress after the flashing lights, which he's never encountered before. And there weren't things that quite made sense in a literal way. Just flashing images. Um, one of the things he did see was this hotel. very distinct. You can see a kite flying in one image. You can see some fast-moving lights, like something you'd find from a highway or something. Or if there was an engine that uh, operated by light, that's how he interpreted it as. But again, these images were open to interpretation. But one of the few things that weren't open to interpretation was the specific hotel. And when he woke up, he wrote it all down, all the memories, while still fresh in his head, which was only there for five minutes, and then he forgot all of it again. Since he wrote down the phrase hotel, see that hotel before. And then one day, probably about two months later, he was with his family, um, and they're all driving uh, a few towns over uh, because his youngest daughter uh, was on the school soccer team. And the team was doing pretty well with other high schools and all that jazz. And they had to drive to a different school for this this next game. A town called Snoozeville. And as he was driving, he just his eyes kinda of wander. He's not really looking for anything in particular. He's always got to keep in focus on the road, but this drive, he was spacing out hardcore. He didn't quite understand why. And he 
looks over and he sees the phrase, Snoozeville Hotel. He sees the sign, and he sees the hotel. And underneath the sign, there's a slight little clause that says, Established 1967. pumps to break breaks right there on the highway but he doesn't he remains composed kind of hyperventilates a little bit his face turned a little bit red and his wife Darlene looks at him he's like oh, Brian you okay and he's like uh, yeah yeah um, maybe um, maybe you should drive for a bit she's like okay sure sure he didn't know what was happening been a panic, panic, panic attack. He didn't know. Definitely felt like he was going to pass out. And then he snoozed on the way to the Snoozeville High School. Middle school. It was a middle school. Middle school slash high school. It was a small town and it was all one school. And they're all watching the soccer game. Um... Again, his daughter's team is doing really well. And whenever he encounters moments like this, you know, parenting is very hard in general. But Brian makes a very distinct effort to savor every moment uh, when he's with his kids. His life certainly doesn't last forever. But in this one instance with the soccer game, thinking about that hotel you said I that's it's got to be that it's a hotel for my dream I am absolutely sure of it he doesn't come around this way often so he assumed that it was wasn't recalling some sort of memory like on the drive over you know you see a stranger's face on the street and that face reappears in your dream. You always wonder what happened that night. I always feared that he would never find out. And now he saw that he had an opportunity. that diner for three meals a day 
faked an injury at the rail yard so he didn't have to work and he gets some workers' comp from it. But that morning at the diner, uh, that morning when he's seeing the kids play with their camcorder and all that, he thought about it for a bit. He thought, am I sacrificing my family to find these lights? wasn't sure what he'd find, but he knew that he would find it. Even though he lied to get out of work, uh, he didn't want to lie to his wife. So he told her everything. As much as he could, anyway. She knew the stories. Uh, she even talked about it with, uh, his family a bit, family that he grew up with, and even when they'd have like dinner parties and barbecues and all that, she'd join in with Brian's brother and sister about his photographic memory uh, from October 16th, 1967, and then Brian would just jokingly say, well, you weren't even there that night, and I haven't even met you, so how would you even know? She's like, oh, this is fun. I'm curious. When he explained to her um, how his lack of memory from that night always haunted him. And now he had a shot of finding some answers about that night. She was supportive at first. Uh, like, yeah, of course, you should do what you gotta do, you know? Check it out, we can drive through together if you want. I'm off this weekend. What Darlene didn't realize was the uh, level of ex- the level of extreme commitment Brian was willing to take to find these lights and where they came from. He explained his plan about getting workers' comp. Stay at the hotel indefinitely. And she she said, What do you mean indefinitely? And Brian said, You know, until I until I find it, that's all. And Brian and Darlene was like, Okay, well, I mean, can you just give me a number? Like was it like one week or two? How long you're gonna try to do this? And Brian just sighed and he said, It's uh as long as it takes, you know, I'll do it for as long as it takes. Darlene shrugged. She didn't know what to make of it. But she didn't want to fight or an argument or anything like that. So she just said, all right, so if you got to go, then go, you know. But I can't promise that, uh, your home will be the way you left it. Brian nodded and left. He didn't say goodbye to the kids or anything. But again, call them once a week. Check up on check up on them. And he would listen, they'd have a conversation, but his mind was elsewhere for sure. 
in that diner, uh, when he was eating breakfast, when he saw those kids with the camcorder, he thought about his own kids. And he thought, are they gonna forget about me? When they get to that age. If they had a camcorder to use right now, I, I wouldn't be in those videos. Brian didn't have the most effective method on how to find these lights. Again, he wasn't 100% certain that these lights came from aliens. But he certainly didn't have the aircraft technology to peruse the sky to try to find UFOs. He had a memory of going to a UF watcher's camp one day. And someone he was getting pretty chummy with uh, said to him, Hey, you know that uh, the sky is only about like 20 miles high. It's not much of a drive, is it? And Brown was like, No, it's not at all. And the guy said, And beyond those 20 miles? <laughs> That's everything. Brian kept thinking about that guy uh, for some reason that day. Because he didn't meet a lot of people who had an effective method of, of discovering aliens or UFOs, extraterrestrials, uh, interdimensional spirits, you know, whatever those lights were. Perhaps that was the reason why he didn't really connect with the subculture at all. method for trying to find these lights was that he would search the field, uh, or fields rather, it was a lot of space, probably about a two mile radius at this point. There's been some development that's happened in the area, some motels uh, and whatnot, more stretches of road that were built. still pretty small radius uh, so what do you do you search the fields twice a day once during the day uh, after breakfast you just walk around see what you can find there's some trees and patches of forests scattered around you'd walk through those check under rocks anything had a pretty inexpensive camera with him, see who would take pictures and all that. And then maybe after three or four hours, he'd return to the diner, have a really big dinner, 
then he'd return to the hotel, or the motel, rather, and then take a nap, and then wake up in the middle of the night, grab his flashlight and camera, come in the fields again. For a shorter time, uh, because it wasn't as effective as, a, as searching in the daylight, but he would go to areas that he came through that day. So he'd go through that area a second time, check all those all those same spots a second time maybe take some pictures uh, or just so that he knew like the nooks and crannies of these fields he didn't think he'd find anything during the daytime he thought if anything was going to show up it would be at night but he'd use the daytime to scout the area and then use the night to search more thoroughly And then he returned back to Snoozeville Motel and then sleep again until the morning. And then he had breakfast. That would basically be his 24 hour cycle. All he did was eat, sleep, and search for the lights. But the sleeping was also part of the work too you try to see if you would have those light streams again and then comb them for memories uh, again he kept a notepad near his bed jot that down anything that was new or significant or certain details that stand out observers, his method may have seemed ineffective, but again, he was effective in his ineffectiveness. He had it down pat. Uh, other than calling his kids once a week, that was basically his routine. The only time he wasn't really working was when he was eating at the diner. That was his solace. That was his only real connection the outside world. He'd read the paper, people watch, check out what was on TV there. I got to the point when he was out there for, at the hotel, the motel, for about three months. He didn't shave very often. He was also starting to look a little bit haggard. And again, it took a lengthy amount of time to really search those fields. But it was a finite space. That was enclosed in various developments, uh, warehouses, hotels, and roads. And he stayed, he stayed there so long that he was already doubling up on areas that he searched. He didn't find anything there of significant value. And he wasn't sure that he would.
staff of the motel started to see him as a long-term re- res- resident. Um, it didn't really take them too long at all. He was on a first-name basis with everyone on the staff. Even the same uh, stretches of small talk would happen over and over again. ran into the woman from the cleaning staff uh, she'd say hey you want me to clean your room today he'd be like uh no thank you not today and they would have that conversation about twice a week for those three months he felt like he was getting ingrained into a very banal and benign There's one morning when he woke up. He was about to walk across the street to the diner. And he thought, you know what? Maybe we won't have breakfast today. Maybe I'll try to find a fruit stand or grocery store, cook something myself, go somewhere different. It was against his best judgment, but he thought he needed a day off, just for even just for the sheer rest wanted to see his kids, but he thought that was too far in breaking the mold of what he was after. So standing by the motel, not sure what to do, he just walks into the lobby area. And he saw the receptionist there named Claire. And she was just like, oh, you're up early. And Brian said, no, I'm usually up at like 10 or whatever. You just don't really see me until um, after I'm finished work for the day. Claire was like, oh, uh, well, uh. she almost asked what he did for work. Um, but since he was a long-term resident of the motel, she convinced herself that she didn't really want to know. She said, um, you want any coffee at all? And Brian said, yeah, yeah. That was a perfect way to break routine so far. So she pours him a cup. He drinks it. It tastes terrible. Like burnt popcorn. It was on the burner for too long. And he didn't know what compelled him to feel this, but he felt like he wanted to have a real conversation, not one of the plethora of different types of small talk that can exist. He drank the coffee, and it was hurting his stomach, and he just said, uh, so, um, how are you? said, ah, that's good. It's good that things are good and fine.
was just like, yeah, how about that Reagan, though? And Brian said, yeah, how about that Reagan? She said, you know, when I saw those movies with him, I thought he was really handsome and charming. He's a really good actor. Brian said, yeah, he is. And Claire said, but he's such a, you know, when he was elected president, he's such a, such a weirdo, you know? And Brian was like, yeah, I guess so. I don't really know much about him. I was like, well, did you vote for him? And Brian said, I don't really remember what I voted for, who I voted for. Um, in fact, I don't really... Brian thought about it, and he felt a really dark feeling of... You know what? I don't really remember a whole lot uh, outside living in this hotel, really. Was like, oh, you don't remember anything? And Brian was like, no, I don't. It's not that I don't remember. It's just I can't. I can't recall any memories, really. And Claire was like, oh, that's weird. Um, do you have to take medication? Do you have like him or anything like that? And Brian said, um, no, I don't think so. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll check. Claire was like, that's a, it's an idea. And Brian said, can you, can you come with me? Claire was like, I don't know, I'm working right now. And then Brian said, um, I might actually need help though. And Claire said, we well, can call a doctor or something. Brian said, yeah, I, I don't know what doctor to call. And Claire said, well, maybe there's a phone number in your room or something. You know, I know I know a doctor I can call over. And Brian said, well, could you could you help me find a number in my room, please? Just five minutes. I need some support. said okay all right that's fine let's check it out so they go up to brian's room in the motel tidy in here. And Brian said, um, what was I looking for? And then Claire said, um, a doctor for a phone number? Phone number for a doctor. Excuse me. You get a little spacey here sometimes. And Brian said, you get spacey at the hotel? Claire said, yeah, well, you know, it happens. You know, word salads and all that. Brian remember what he wanted to ask her. 
Not just in the lobby, but since he first checked into the hotel. Yeah, so this was this hotel built in um, 1967? And she was like, yeah, yeah, it was. And he said, okay, um, where did... Uh, What, what date was um, the hotel motel uh, built in? When was the hotel? Uh, I keep calling it a hotel, I'm sorry. She said, no, it's fine, it's a common mistake. But Ryan said, the motel, when was it built in 1967? And she's like, well, I wasn't there. Um, it wasn't even... Yeah, do you mean like the first... Just like a toddler, do you mean like the first brick that they cast on the property? And he's just like, sure, just any kind of starting point of when this place became a hotel. Because the road is new. This road wasn't the highway. Um, this wasn't built until like the seventies. You know, but this motel uh, was made in like nineteen sixty-seven. So where would the motel be? Who would check into the motel if there wasn't any road? Do you understand what I'm saying? And she was like, um, yeah, I don't know, maybe people walked. It's a small town. They used to, this used to be, like, there were a lot of still, like, dirt, dirt roads around. Uh, There's some asphalt, you know. It was kind of a, like a longer road that used to be around. The people from town would kind of drive to get here. And the highway just kind of rolled rolled it over, you know. But yeah, I, I don't know. And Brian said, "Okay, all right. Can I? Can we check the lobby to see if um what what the founding date was?" And she's like, "Where are you looking for a phone number?" And Brian said, "Yes, yes, I was." Let's keep doing that. He's looking around, still doesn't see anything. And he opens a drawer uh, at his nightstand. And there's a little piece of paper with some numbers scrawled on it. And he thought, okay, this must be it. This must be it. looking for something here too and Claire says I don't I don't know Brian you're being weird and I don't like it alright I'm just gonna say it like stop just don't go through please don't go through my things you might have to maybe go walk at the diner you know maybe get some breakfast I've eaten your first meal today and Brian was like I didn't I don't know I don't I keep going to that diner I need to find lights that's what I'm looking have lights. There's a lot of lights. Lights in here, lights in your room. Maybe you want to, you know, take a nap or something. And Brian's like, no, no, it's fine. Um, the 
founding date was it October 16th and Claire was like yeah yeah actually I just remember that Brian said so the hotel with motel was founded on October 16th 1967 and Claire said yes it was Brian said, on October 16th, 1967, I was a kid, me and my family were at a gas station, I wandered off into that field across the street, you know, the one just past the diner, he was like, yeah, she, she was like, yeah, I know the diner, eat there a lot, and he said, okay, in that field, I saw these bright lights, I don't know what happened, anything after that, until... 2.13 in the morning. I can remember every piece of that day with photographic memory. Every little detail, every little conversation, every little sound I heard, every smell, everything, except what happened when I saw those lights. Years later, I have a dream about having seen those lights, and then I have a dream of this motel. This motel was built the same day, or started to be built, or founded, or whatever you want to call it, the first brick cast upon the property. I don't know how else to describe it, but that also happened October 16th, 1967. And Claire was like, okay. And Brian said, so, it's a pretty good reason to believe that whatever happened to me in that field on that night is connected to this motel. Do you think that is a sound uh, line of reasoning? Claire said, um, yeah, that sounds fine to me. And Brian said, okay. So that's a good step, but now I'm at the point where, okay, so what do I do with that information? like I don't I don't know Brian I don't know Brian said okay well another thing about this motel is my memory's all fucked up right I don't know what the fuck's going on I don't have any memories outside seeing this motel Claire said okay Yes, that's pretty bad. Um, and Brian said, so Claire, what the fuck am I going to do? And Claire's just like, all right, um, if I was in your shoes, I would do one of two things. I would call the number that you have. It's probably a doctor's number. He'd probably give you some answers. Maybe you have amnesia. You've been treated, and you've been staying at this motel. Um, you know, maybe you're an outpatient or something, and maybe you need to get checked back in or whatever. Whatever that process is, you might have to do it. The other thing I would consider doing is checking out of the motel. If this is place is some kind of purgatory for you, you know, maybe it's that's better. Brian said purgatory. Why would you say purgatory? Claire was just like, uh, what? It's 
you know, purgatory, like, you're kind of, like, stuck in, like, one place, like, perpetually, you know, or, like, limbo, that's probably more accurate, because, like, purgatory, you can, like, get into heaven, but limbo, you're just kind of stuck there, you know. And Brian said, yeah, but I don't, but why would you say purgatory or limbo, or why would you allude to those places, right? Like, I don't know, it just came up at the top of my head. I don't know. But you should call that number because you're freaking me out. I'm gonna get back to work. I'm not gonna just just do what we gotta do. Alright? If you need help, any real help, you can let me know, but you can't I can't just keep helping you out all the time. You know, it's not the first time you've done this. Brian was like, when when else have I done this? Claire's like, I don't know, you you know, you talk about the lights and stuff. Um you know, you really I don't know what you're gonna find, you know. You get, you just you have breakfast, you wander in that field every day, come back here, go back over there, eat, or whatever order you do it in, I don't know, but you know, you do you, it's fine, but I can't I you know, I can only do so much to help. You know, I'm, I am at work and I have things to do. You know, I can't really be disrupted or anything like that. Brian said, okay, um, sorry, I'm gonna, you know, if there's a payphone over there, I'm just gonna call this number, and Claire says, it sounds great. So Brian goes to the payphone, makes a call. And a man's voice answers, uh, hello. Brian says, um, yeah, you a doctor? I, uh, I'm having some memory issues, uh, I thought I could use a doctor's help. I have this number in my house, I don't know who it's for, I don't know if you can help me out or not. And the voice just said, Dad? And Brian recognized it as his son's voice, but, you know, older, leaner. Brian said, oh, um, this is Brian. And the kid said, Dad, it's me. It's Todd. And Brian said, Todd, yes. Oh my god. Okay. Yes. Hi. How are you doing? How's, um, soccer? And Todd said, no, that was Jeannie. Jeannie played soccer. And that was years ago. Where are you? And Brian said, at the, um, at the, uh, Snoozeville Motel. said, okay, well, where's the Snoozeville Motel? He said, it's by Snoozeville. You know Snoozeville? We went, uh, we watched soccer there once, you know? And Todd said, okay, we're gonna come get you. Just, please, just give me, you have an address to someone nearby. I'll give you an address. And Brian shouted, Claire, Claire! Claire didn't answer. Brian said, um, I don't want to leave the payphone. Uh, but yeah, just go to Snoozeville Motel. Just, um, two towns over. Just Snoozeville. We went to a soccer game there. Todd said, yeah, said that you said that. There was no soccer game. Um, where, where are you? And then Brian heard another voice on the phone. 
voice said, uh, Brian. And it was Darlene. Brian said, Darlene, um, I'm at uh, the Sneezeville Motel. Uh, yeah, you, can you come pick me up? I'm having some spirit uh, issues over here. And Darlene was just like, you got a, dude, you got a lot of nerve calling us here, you know. Brian was like, what? I, what? I need, what? I need help. What is it? And Darlene was just like, Brian, it's been, it's been six years since you went to the Seussville Motel. And then like three months in, you know, I try to find you to Seussville Motel. Guess what? There is no Snoozeville Motel. Alright? There's a Snoozeville. There's a diner and a field. There's the same gas station that you, you know, that you, uh, whatever happened, happened to you there. But no motel. Alright? So, look, if you want to leave us, you know, we've been doing fine without you. We moved on, I moved on, I remarried. You know, if you need medical help, that's a different thing. You can, um, we can try to work something out, but visitation, whatever, I don't know. I don't want, but, like, dude, you gotta, like, not do this, you know? You can't just call us out of the blue and then, you know, feel bad about, like, ditching us and then blame some sort of, like, medical thing on it, you know? You just gotta, you know, just... I'll just be, I don't know. Okay, well, we can help you. If, we'll, we'll help, all right? We'll, we will help you in this moment. But, like, you gotta tell us where you are. Like, for real. Like, we need an address. We haven't seen you in ages. And Brian said, I'm at the Snoozeville Motel. It's outside of Snoozeville, you know? My words are jumbly, and I'm nervous. And then Darlene says, um, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up the phone now." Now. And then Brian hears her voice again, like, "Gene, you want to talk to him?" And Darlene said, "Okay, yeah, I'm gonna hang up now." And then she hung up. Brian just stood there holding the payphone. And he just drops it. He thinks about going back to the diner to get breakfast. And then going through the field again, but he just wants to go to sleep. He needs a day of rest for sure. So he goes upstairs to his room. He sees Claire sitting on his bed. She's in tears. She looks at him and says, I don't remember my life after the motel either. Brian sits next to her. spend the afternoon together. So as the night draws in, they're laying next to each other nude. After having sex all day, pretty much. 
Brian just muses. The only thing I remember outside this motel was the day I saw the lights. The entire day, pitch perfect memory, but anything else, I don't know. The sad thing is I almost forgot that I had kids. I wouldn't have even known about them for that number that you'd help me find. Claire said, I didn't really help you find it at all. You got it found on your own. Brad said, no, you found it in the uh, nightstand. Claire said, no, that was you. Brian said, um, oh, it doesn't matter now. It's a safe spot now. Claire says, where'd you put it? And Brian said, I put put it in the, um... Oh, God. I don't know. Presses his hand on his forehead and just says, I don't know. start to doze off. Ryan feels a light from the blinds hit his eye. He just thinks to himself, like, oh, it's on again, it's way too early to wake up. And he opens his eyes and he sees the lights from outside. he saw when he was a kid. He jolts out of bed, practically trampling Claire. Looks out the window through the blinds. He said, oh my God, it's, it's the lights. It's finally time. And Claire said, what? what is it? What is it? He said, it's, it's the lights. It's all what I saw as, as a kid. It's, it's, it's out there, you know? Clara says, what lights? What are you... Oh, shit. And then she looks down and she sees, sees the lights. And Brian said, we gotta go. We gotta go. Right now. He starts putting on his shoes, his pants. He takes off his shoes and puts his pants on because it's hard to put on pants when you're wearing shoes. And Clara's just like, well, slow down. We don't know what those lights are, you know? It could kill you. You don't know. Brian said, that, those are lights for sure. 100% sure of it. But we gotta go right now. They might disappear again. And Clara's like, well, it's just the middle of the night, you know? This might not be safe. And Brian said, it's been like about 20 years since I've seen these lights. You know, I can't wait any longer for them. So he has his shoes, uh, pants, shirt, jacket. 
then Brian bolts out the door and he shouts to Claire, come on, I want you to see this. Claire reluctantly puts back on her clothes and her shoes and she heads out also. Brian runs down the stairs. He feels like a little kid again. He sees the lights in the distant field behind the diner. He runs across the street. His shoes at the grass. And he hears Claire shouting behind him, Brian, Brian. running towards the lights. He tries to grab his camera, but he's like, oh shit, I left the camera in the motel. He felt ecstatic. He felt like he, this, is, this is what it's been all about. This is why he's been in the hotel for six years. This is why he's become obsessed. It was all so clear to him in that moment. sees a large flash from them. Then everything goes black. He wakes up and he sees his parents freaking out, screaming at each other. It's 2.13 in the morning. October 17, 1967. He looks around and he's in a daze. He wasn't sure what happened. looked at him and they were going, oh, thank God you're awake. His mom says, you want to go to the hospital? Are you feeling okay? Your head feeling okay? And Brian said, my head feels fine, good. I feel good. His dad says, oh, all right, where did you, where did you go? You were missing for hours. And Brian said, I was just following the lights. They were so pretty, you know?
goes into the kitchen. His family's already eating breakfast. His mom cooked a huge, big meal, you know, as a celebration that he's all right. serves him a plate and it kind of checks his body, his arms. Uh, he has all these little burn marks on him. And she says, oh, we got to get that checked out for sure. We can do it later today unless you need the rest. Uh, maybe we can bring Dr. Howard over, you know, get you checked out. That says, ah, oh, he'll be fine. He, uh, he just needs a good breakfast. And Brian says, yeah, yeah, breakfast. His sister leans over to him and says, so what happened with those lights? Brian said, um, I don't know. I can remember everything that happened before, but not after. said, yeah, you know, on the news this morning, you know, said there was another kid that kind of got missing, you know, much younger than you, but, you know, she made it out okay, too. Brian said, oh, good. Good. Did she see lights? His mom said, uh, I don't know. Maybe. It was in the same area, though, which was weird. We thought there was, like, some sort of someone, like, abducting you or something. His mom laughs and he says, I, she says, I, I don't know what to make of it. And Brian said, yeah. Yeah. And Brian's brother said, hey, can we watch TV with breakfast? And their dad says, no, that stuff's going to up your mind. You don't want to do that. And then Brian's brother said, oh, but, you know, Brian's back, you know? He's feeling alright, you know? Isn't like, so I thought we were having fun, celebrating, and all that. And then Brian's mom said, oh, just let him. Just one morning, you know? It'll be fine. We can use, like, the tiny one that we got for uh, Christmas. Brian says, said, all right, just this once, you know, I just like, I like to read in my newspaper and quiet, but, you know, fuck it, slow, slow news day everywhere else, but, everywhere else but here, so, you know, we can put on TV. So Brian's mom uh, picked up uh, the tiny little black and white TV, plugged into the wall, uh, the cable line was already plugged in. TV, uh, Brian saw the actor, Ronald Reagan, 
Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. And good night.